Today, I'm joined by Graham Linehan, uh, author, writer, comedy writer. Um, everybody will know Graham from Father Ted and IT Crowd and a host of other comedy greats. Uh, and so I'm going to say welcome to the UK column, Graham. Hello. Well, uh, nice to meet you, Mike. It is, well, it is fantastic to meet you. Now, uh, it's very difficult to know exactly where to begin this, but let's just uh, begin with Wikipedia. Wikipedia describes you as a trans, uh, an anti-trans activist. Is that is that a fair? Would you consider yourself as being that these days? No, that's how Wikipedia describes everyone who's concerned or fighting for women's rights. Uh, we've tried to change it a number of times, but the edit always reverts back within fifteen minutes. And they use as their sources, uh, you know, stories that we've been trying, like in my book, for instance, there was a story about me supposedly harassing a trans woman who was actually a convicted criminal who's changed his name three times. Um, but these are the kinds of facts that the Guardian and Wikipedia leave out when they're talking about me. So, um, yeah, there's nothing I can do, really. I, I realized a few years ago that my reputation was in the hands of of these people and all I could do is just keep trying to get the word out about what I re really believe, you know. Um, my views, uh, which are often called anti-trans, are shared by many trans people, uh, including Debbie Hayden, Miranda Yardley, uh, Fiona Orlander and more. And um, it's just, essentially, it's just a, a political weapon calling someone anti-trans. Because if you, if you can't define <clears throat> the word trans, then the charge of transphobia just becomes a kind of all-purpose uh, um, uh, stick to hit people with. What made you decide to speak out on this issue? Now, I, I noticed that, that um, the criticism that you originally had was over a particular episode of the IT crowd, and but it, it wasn't criticism. You didn't receive the criticism the first time that uh, episode went no. was broadcast. It was the second time the episode was broadcast. I think it was 2012 or so, if I'm right. Uh so w was that something that you were already, when you were writing that that uh, comedy show, were already thinking about? Or was it just coincidence that that, that, that sort of began a, a, a process? Uh, it was just coincidence. I, the story uh, actually came from the old sportscaster, you may remember him, uh, Des Lynham, yeah. uh, with the salt and pepper moustache, um, who apparently, there was a biography a trans woman wrote in which she said that she... Uh, went on a date with Des and told him that she used to be a man and, and Des just continued eating uh, and shrugged and it wasn't a problem to him. And I always found this uh, extremely admirable, uh, but also very funny because it's a bit of a seismic thing to be to be uh, told when you're having dinner with what you thought was a, was a, a natural born woman. Um, so I gave it to Douglas in my show, The IT Crowd, because I thought it would be a funny, a funny moment and, and, you know, I just kind of uh, extrapolated out from that a relationship between uh, my character and the trans woman. And then when uh, her past becomes too much for him to deal with, there's a huge uh, fist fight uh, because I wanted to film a, uh, a, a Matrix type uh, action sequence. Um, so, yeah, I just did that and thought nothing of it. Um, and there was a little bit of pushback, but I didn't quite register it <clears throat> at the time as being particularly vicious or strange. Um, and it just kind of disappeared from my memory. But I think perhaps some trace of the pushback stayed with me because I started looking into it 
I started wondering why are people getting so angry about this, um, and uh, I, I, you know, through 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 my interest uh, in it, I started learning about people like Julie Bindle, uh, who who was to, who'd been talking about it for like I think a decade at that point, and had already been cancelled for it. Um, you know, Kathleen Stock, uh, the the people in Stonewall who had broken off and were worried about it. And I just started finding out more about it. And I knew that the cost was very high uh, for entering into the debate with anything other than a completely cult-like uh, uh, attitude of trans women or women. Um, but, you know, I let my guard down when I had an operation and I was on morphine. And unfortunately, I had my phone and I sort of started thinking, why am I so worried about getting into this debate? It's a perfectly uh, reasonable position to hold. And uh, started talking about it, and almost instantly, I started getting threats. And uh, one person, while I was still on the recuperating, uh, one person tweeted, "I, I, I wish the cancer had won." And uh, ever since then, ever since that moment on the, on my hospital gurney, uh, I've been basically, you know, fighting fires as my reputation has been just completely introduced by these people, you know. So. Um, but I didn't enter into it. I didn't enter. I had done the research. You know, it was just a, per, per, a question of pulling the trigger. And um, when I did, I just started expressing the views that I had heard from all these different women who knew a lot more about it than I did and who weren't being spoken to, who were being vilified as bigots. Uh, Kathleen Stock, I'm sure you remember, was hounded from her job at, uh, I, I can't remember whether it was Sussex or Surrey University, I think it was Sussex. Um, and uh, the more I explored it, and the more I was in this world, uh, the more women I met who were being treated in the most disgusting fashion, who were losing their livelihoods, who were being threatened, uh, uh, being arrested in some cases, and, uh, yeah, the more I kind of found out about it, the, the harder it was for me to ignore what was happening to these women. It's interesting what you say there, because you're, somebody communicated with you while you're recovering from cancer, uh, saying they wished you died. Yeah. You know, you are putting forward a point of view with a view to having a rational discussion about something. Uh, you're then accused of being the hateful person, and yet you're in receipt of comments like this, and everybody else has been uh, commenting on this, is receiving the same type of uh, communication back. My question is, yeah. where where is the hate in this debate? It's It doesn't seem to be with the people that are actually wanting a rational conversation. Yeah, it, it kind of... Um expressed when you see the the two phrases associated with 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 each side uh the other side their their kind of go-to was no debate as if the and, and this is something they've held on to the very act of talking about this issue is somehow bigoted um whereas our side has a phrase let them speak because we want people to hear trans rights activists we want them to hear what they're uh, advocating for um, and what their uh, beliefs are, because as soon as the general public finds out um, what they are, they 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 reject it. You know, um, like to 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 go back to its base and its beginnings. Um, all this comes from a very good place. You know, people are 
justifiably and rightly concern about transsexuals and people with gender dysphoria, or, or actually I would call it more body dysphoria. Uh, people are rightly concerned. People want to do the best for anyone who's unlucky enough to be suffering uh, from these conditions. Um, but again, one of the things I discovered as I was looking this up is that a lot of the people who are calling themselves trans weren't trans at all. They were cross-dressing. Um, they were, you know, there's a famous, uh, there's a famous couple who are on Only Connect who call themselves a queer couple. And it's because the husband wears earrings and the wife um, has short hair. Uh, suddenly, the, the, uh, you couldn't see the wood for the trees from the kind of people who are following a fad to actual transsexuals who are going through something pretty traumatic. And worse yet, uh, all of society suddenly started colluding in not trying to combat dysphoria, but to encourage and implant it in people. Um, you know, the example of schools changing a, a, a pupil's name uh, and, and pronouns without telling parents. These things were uh, clearly wrong, uh, clearly had nothing to do with transsexual people. Um, and yet uh, the response uh, to even bringing up the issue was tweets like that one, the I, I wish you had died, because this discussion is ring-fenced uh, by incredible hostility uh, because the people behind it, they simply don't want the conversation to happen. And the best way they can ensure that is to try and abuse people, tie them up in uh, employment tribunals, uh, uh, harass them with the police, harass them online, try and take away their platforms. Um, they're do they did everything in their power to try and make sure the conversation didn't happen. And uh, yeah, I just uh, I did I I I did. Sorry, I'm not sure. sure I, I I sometimes I run on and I forget what the original intent question was. Sorry. Well, well, don't, no, I mean uh, that that's all absolutely fine. Now, um, Mike, let, let's come back though to to sort of the beginning of your journey. I mean, why why did you feel so strongly about this? What was it that that really uh, gripped you about it? Oh, I was being called a bigot, and it wasn't true. Why did you feel that this was something that, that, that you wanted to campaign about or to, to uh, get involved in the discussion at least? Because it was simply because women were being hurt, you know, and simply because I, I seem to be unusual in that I don't need to see a woman raped in prison before I, I, I believe that men shouldn't be in women's prisons. You know what I mean? I don't need to see a child... Uh, cutting off their breasts or their genitals and destroying their sexual function to know that that's a bad thing. Like, like these are all things. What, what I, I would flip the question in a way and I would say, why isn't everyone fighting this? For me, this is the, one of the most appalling tragedies. That's certainly the most appalling tragedy uh, that's happened to gay people since, since AIDS. You know, we have, a, we have multiple generations now of children who've been told gay, gender non-conforming, who've been told that if they uh, take puberty blockers, take cross-sex hormones, and uh, have massive surgical interventions, then they will find their true selves. That's a horrific thing to tell gay people, a horrific thing to tell gay young people. And so I just didn't need the, 
you know, to 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 see all this play out, to know that it w- it needed fighting. And I'm again, I'm I'm still astonished that so many people seem to. We now have, you know, men in their men and women in their thirties who are talking about how they didn't understand what they were getting into, how they had lots of um, uh, psychological problems that weren't addressed, and they've all destroyed their bodies because they were encouraged to by what is essentially a cult. Um, I, I just didn't need need to see it play out to fight it. And I wanted to try and stop it before it affected more people, you know? Yeah. Two areas I'd like to, to, to look into with you. The first is schools, because you've mentioned schools already. Uh, now, I've got uh, two young adult children now that, that uh, have been through the school system in Plymouth. And, and I know that a significant proportion of their um, colleagues, peers, uh, experienced um, encouragement to consider what their gender was. The school absolutely uh, respected any child that came along and said, please change my name on the register without telling the parents. You've already talked about that. Uh, and in fact, uh, at one uh, um, prom or formal event in the not too distant past, uh, I, I know that there were there was indeed one of a queer couple that you've described. So a, a, a girl was considered herself a boy and a boy that considered himself a girl and they were in a heterosexual relationship despite being the opposite genders than, than they uh, actually were. So so my question is, where is the, the, the sort of pressure on teachers coming and why are teachers conforming with this and, and promoting this idea? I mean, actively promoting this idea in schools, do you think? That's a good question. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, uh, that's one of the more puzzling ones for me because I don't understand how <clears throat> any adult with children in their charge could 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 put these you know appall or encourage these ideas that have been you know basically shared online through various different forums reddit tumblr is where a lot of this stuff grows where a lot of kids are given um the same kind of uh, instructions on how to talk about this issue to people like parents and teachers um but it it does surprise me that, te- that that so many teachers were taken in by it. I, I went to uh, meet a teacher in a school once, and um, they were working with an organization I thought were very troubling uh, called MAP. And uh, at one point I said to the person, who was very high up, like an assistant headmaster or something like that, I said, um, you, you don't actually believe that people can change sex, do you? And... She said, well, I'm not a scientist. And, and that really terrified me, you know, that uh, it, it, it just struck me as such an extraordinary thing to say. We've had however many centuries uh, on Earth and, and there's never been uh, a movement like this. And to suddenly think that, you know, there is such a, a kind of cohort of, of people called trans people uh, who need to have operations and need to uh, 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 be addressed as she and her in order to be happy. I, I thought it was an extraordinary position for a teacher to take. Um, uh, but I think what it is is probably, uh, sorry, to go back to your, your actual question, I think the reason that teaching has been uh, has been captured to such an extent is 
again, just because it's a middle class, uh, it's, it's, it's a largely middle class um, uh, career. Um, and this is a middle class phenomenon. You know, it's spread most amongst the middle classes. It's now being taken up by a lot of uh, uh, poor uh, uh, people, but it started off as a very kind of um, privileged belief system. Uh, and it's why you, it's taken over so completely in publishing, the media, um, theatre, uh, and the arts. Um, and I think, yeah, it's just just basically it's it's spread via uh, it's spread via teachers. Many of them who, you know, it, it it's kind of I don't know. It's kind of um, it could be related also to teaching practices and to. Uh, you know, trying to be friends with your kids. I think a lot of adults who who, who uh, believe in this stuff, they often have kids who are telling who are telling them it, um, who are kind of feeding them a line um, that they've uh, picked up from other people, and um, it kind of stems a little bit from wanting to be your kids' mates instead mm-hmm. of wanting to be an adult and take care of them and 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 make them make the right decisions. You know, uh, so. I just think that, like, some place, some professions are more um, uh, susceptible to this than others, and unfortunately, teaching seems to be one of them. Uh, I, I don't have anything further than that on how, how, why it, it's particularly been captured. Yeah. But yeah, I think okay. it's almost like kind of a two-way grooming system where the kids are telling the, the adults these things, and the adults are telling the kids, and it creates a kind of an echo chamber of, of nonsense, you know, with no one able to break through it, because the moment that, say, a teacher says, hang on a sec, this doesn't actually stand up, uh, they are, you know, handed from their jobs. If a child says it, as happened uh, in one school where a child uh, questioned a, a member of the House of Lords who was, who was promoting the ideology, she was spat on by her teammates, you know, spat on, surrounded, bullied. So it's a, it's got a high cost within schools of standing up to it. But unfortunately, everyone just wants to be uh, a cool kid, including the teachers, you know. So it's led to this, um, uh, again, just led to more confusion within schools. Yes, I, I think I think you're onto something with the uh, wanting to be mates uh, issue in particular. There now uh, yes. the other the other two areas you've already mentioned. One of them one is prisons, and the other is sports, of course. Uh, and and I, I'm sort of just left wondering what the motivation is for uh, trans sports people, because I, I guess it is because uh, men who are not good enough to be uh, successful in men's sport are seeing opportunities. Yeah, I mean, there's prize money to be had. There's, uh, you know, there's um, a weird kind of fame that they don't seem to mind having, which is a kind of a, <clears throat> you know, oh, good for you, good for you. It's all like they're disabled or something <laughs> when they're actually stronger than the women that they're competing against. You know, um, I think it's, uh, I think sports is what's what the sports issue has revealed is that. You know, there's a line we have in society and uh, people who are opportunists in a, in a predatory way are, a, you know, that line stops those people from taking too much advantage of others. And what's ha- happened with the trans issue is the line has been moved. And a lot of low level, I would say, soci- vaguely sociopathic men have 
des- decided what, what criminals decide all the time, which is, well, why should I follow these rules? I could make money if I, if I pretend to be a woman and, and uh, do this. Why, why should I do it? And, 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 and I think that that kind of low-level opportunistic criminality exists in many of us. You know, there's people, you know, we, we often see people, uh, uh, you know, cheating on their tax or whatever it happens to be. But if you give people an opportunity where they can cash in massively um, by cheating in such a way, they're, they're going to do it. You know, they're going to do it. It's like, like, why wouldn't they? The criminal mindset doesn't go, Ooh, actually, you know, it's, it's wrong. I won't take this money. That's just lying there waiting for me. <laughs> That's the, the criminal mindset just takes the money. So um, actually, it's an interesting story. I don't want to go too far off the off piste, but uh, there's an interesting story I once heard that when, when policemen are looking for a criminal, let's say they don't know uh, exactly where he is, but they know he's in a shopping center. The first thing they'll do is they'll they'll find, check for his car registration in a disabled parking spot because they'll they'll find the disabled parking spots and they'll check there first because apparently criminals love parking in disabled parking spots because their attitude is, well, no, that's, that's for suckers. I, I'm just going to park here. It's just free space. I'm not one of these suckers, you know? And again, that, that's the mentality that is being catered to when you say, for instance, with a contact sport, hey, you know, you can, you can, you're allowed now to fight women in the in the ring, and uh, yeah, you'll 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 get the normal uh, uh, prizes that are awarded to women who win these competitions, you know. So I don't know why wouldn't they take advantage of this, you know? Why wouldn't they they um, uh, take these kinds of opportunities? What's been depressing is finding out quite how many men are happy to do it. It's been, it's, it's a real kind of flaw in our sex that, you know, someone with a massive physical advantage is, is perfectly capable of not only, not only taking advantage of it, but, but doing so, being photographed on podiums, mm. smiling, you know, as if they've achieved something. I, 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 I it's a, it's a pretty scary and, and, um, depressing state of affairs when when men uh are willing to to do that you know and it really doesn't again it it needs adults in the room but again it's it's so dangerous to be an adult in the room you could have your life destroyed like look at stephen nolan stephen nolan's um uh podcast on stonewall and i you know i remember thinking i wonder how they'll get back at them and of course there was a few months later this concocted um attempt to smear him as a bully or sexual offender, whatever it was, um, you know, the, the, the costs for standing up and saying, hang on a sec, this bloke shouldn't be on a women's podium. What's he doing there? It's just too high. So, uh, uh, yeah, sports is an interesting one. And I think that, but the good thing about sports is that visually it's, it's, it really makes our case because suddenly everyone is realizing as they see these photographs of winners podiums, Oh, okay. Women are being completely, uh, you know, dominated in their own sports. So, I mean, obviously, you're familiar with uh, the the campaigns that are out there. And what's the situation? What what is the situation with sort of women's rights campaigns and so on? Are they uh, engaged actively in this topic? 
Um, and to what degree? And to what degree are they being uh, also cancelled? Sorry, who, who who do you mean specifically in this case? Well, like I, I mean, I, I don't really have anybody specific in mind. I mean, we all we, we obviously know the the the, the well known personalities like Sharon Davies and and uh, J.K. Rowling and mm. so on and people like this. But but there must be uh, women's rights campaigns out there that have been cam- campaigning for decades on on uh, equality for women and so on. Are they not uh, getting behind you and others oh. that are that are speaking out on this? I see what you're saying. Well, it, 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 unfortunately, a lot of the kind of established ones are what we call captured, which means that they uh, have completely bought into um, uh, trans trans uh, ideology. Uh, the NWCI in Ireland is an example. I think the the over here we have the Women's Equality Party, uh, which is again completely captured. There's a kind of a there's a kind of mainstream feminism that's been rolling along, uh, introducing all these uh, concepts uh, in the most blasé and unthinking way. And yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of irrelevant now. The real organizations that are doing something and that are, uh, that are actually addressing this issue are groups like Sex Matters, the Women's Rights Network, um, Fair Play for Women, um, uh, and the LGB Alliance. These are the groups that are actually trying to uh, speak about it, but again, they're, they're, it's hard for them to get on TV. It's hard for them to to be heard because one of the kind of um, te- techniques that's used in this debate is simply pretending that there's no debate and pretending that these groups are irrelevant and, and have nothing to add and are turfs. Um, so yeah, that's another thing that I think is uh, is. Uh, like the NWCI, they they would never meet with a group like Sex Matters to talk about this because they, you know, they've been told and they believe that these women are bigots, you know? So, and also I think they've just invested so much in this issue that any kind of climb down is going to be extremely embarrassing to them. So they're going to hold off that day for as long as they can. But to be very clear, these groups are betraying women, you know? Like the, there's there's no excuse for uh, standing by while a man like Barbie Kardashian was placed in a women's prison. Man who constantly talked about uh, killing women, wanted to kill his own mother, and tore a social worker's scalp off. You know, like part part of a social worker's scalp off. This man was placed in Limerick women's prison. So any women's group that wasn't fighting this. And trying to draw attention to it is, to my mind, not fit for purpose. They allowed these women to be uh, put in danger uh, to hold up a belief system that has no basis in reality and is simply a fad, a fashionable fad. Let's uh, move on to, to your own personal experience of what happened uh, since you spoke out. Uh, so obviously... We have all followed your various Twitter bands over the last few years. And then, of course, there was the uh, Edinburgh Festival uh, and so on. But what about your your personal uh, connections and so on, your professional connections? Have, how much of that has been damaged by what you've done and, and uh, how many people have stood beside you, as it were? Uh, I, I think I can count them on, on, on half of one hand. Uh, Jonathan Ross stood up for me and Richard Iowetti 
Uh, oh no, and uh, James Dreyfus. Um, oh, there's also <laughs> there's an actor I worked on once years ago. Uh, worked with once years ago, David Camp uh, from Brass Eye. He he uh, uh, was very annoyed that I didn't mention him recently. But yeah, certainly certainly on the fingers of one hand, uh, everyone else has uh, distanced themselves from me, cut off communications with me, uh, refused to engage with the issue. Um, you know, most most um, uh, heartbreaking of all for me was my colleagues on the Father Ted musical, Arthur Matthews, Neil Hannon. They, um, they, they, they should have stood up for me. They should have said, hang on a sec, if Graeme Linhan isn't doing it, then I'm not doing it. They should have said, Graeme Linhan's not a bigot. What are you talking about? But none of, none of them did. They just, they just let me be kind of beaten up in the dark for over five years. So I, I've lost um, all my respect for people in <clears throat> the entertainment industry, for the way that they have looked the other way while women's rights have just been kind of stolen in broad daylight, you know? Um, so even if I was allowed back, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would I would kind of want to, I don't know. I'm, I'm very disappointed by people, you know? It's such a clear case of right and wrong. Um, just purely, like, like, you know, and a lot of the people uh, who I'm talking about have daughters, you know, and I just cannot understand why they're not standing up for their daughters, you know. I saw, I met a woman the other day, her daughter was a silver medalist, uh, national in jiu-jitsu, and has had to leave the sport because of, uh, she's being placed, uh, uh, she's been, she's a young girl, still in school, but young boys were fighting her. So, I don't understand. I simply don't understand how anyone with a daughter can look the other way as things like that are happening. And yeah, I'm, I don't know. Part of the problem is they don't want to talk to me. <laughs> but the other part of the problem is I'm so disgusted with them, you know, and the people that now I surround myself with, as I, I often joke, I used to know only people in the media and now I know no one in the media and, uh, you know, I'm friends with social workers and police officers and um, doctors and Tavistock whistleblowers and trans people and gay people um, and no one in the media, <laughs> you know. So it's kind of good, good for good long term as a writer, but uh, short term it's been yeah very disruptive and strange, you know, to be kind of spat out of of a world simply because you were standing up for safeguarding. Are you finding uh, that the people that you are friends with now are better friends, perhaps? Yeah, and they're all, as I said in the book, they're all brave. You know, these are all people who stood up. They're all people who, many of whom have lost, their, their, themselves have lost friendships and uh, relationships and, and work opportunities. Uh, I have a friend who used to teach autistic children. He made fun of that, that, that guy I told you about um, who you know changed his name three times? The con man who Wikipedia uh, accuses me of um, uh, harassing, um, and now he no longer teaches autistic children. They they destroyed his career. They wrote to his accreditation body and destroyed his career. Um, you know, all to protect uh, a, a commoner garden thug. You know, um, so these are the people I admire. The people who you know I'm 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 friends with now. 
And I'm very proud to be among that community because they're genuinely brave and they took a stand when it was deeply unfashionable and deeply, uh, you know, uh, detrimental to their careers. Let's just talk about the book a little bit. So the book's called Tough Crowd, and uh, I have read uh, most of it now. I mean, in places, hugely funny and and, uh, um, enjoyable. And in other places, uh, you know, we absolutely get, and I see, you know, I can see some emotion in what you're saying here. So so I see how this really has impacted you personally. Um, and, and that comes across in the book as well. So, so you know, I think that, that but the book has gone quite well so far. Mm, yeah, it's doing okay. We, we, we got to the, uh, got to the uh, top 10 uh, Sunday Times bestsellers, but it's still being, it's still hard to find it in shops, you know. Usually a top 10 bestseller would be piled high in places like Waterstones. But again, each, each, each different shop is, has, you know, a different power struggle going on between the people who want to sell books and the people who are essentially activists, you know. And, um, yeah, shop by shop, we're having trouble with displays and stuff like that, you know. But uh, luckily, so, my fans, my, my, my readers are writing in and telling me, telling me which shops are hiding it and which shops are stocking it. This is what I wanted to, to get to because obviously sure. you'll have a, a fan base that, that that has has bought and read the book and has written to you about that. But but obviously it, since it is sold reasonably well, there must be people have read it that that are not uh, necessarily uh, familiar with your campaign as a, as it were. So what kind of response on a broader basis have you had to it so far? Oh, just very good, you know. I mean, I mean, a lot. It was one of the reasons I wrote it. I, I want, I wanted to show people what I've been through. You know, I've, I've been, you know, I've really had no other means of doing so. Like on, on Twitter, for example, I, I have supposedly five hundred thousand followers, but I've been permanently shadow banned, which means that if you do write a search for my Twitter handle, my troll impersonators come up before I do. Yeah. Um, so it was. So I've just been kind of very, uh, very uh, deliberately silenced over the last few years. I kind of realised I needed a book to to break it. So uh, yeah, that's it's it's it seems to be having an effect. People seem to be realising what 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 I've gone through. Um, but you know, I don't know. I, it's for other people to tell me really what you know whether it works or not. Whether it's um, an effective story or not. I think the one good thing about the issue is that it did give me a good book. It gave me a good structure. You know, Rise and Fall is a classic uh, uh, story structure. Um, so, yeah, at least it gave me a book out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose you also recently attended the uh, Tory party conference. Mm-hmm. How did that go? Well, it was fine, but in the end. But... Um, I, originally, I was refused accreditation, uh, and we've sent a, the police, uh, the Manchester, Manchester police refused my accreditation, um, and I don't know why. So I've, I've, we were writing to the police and trying to find out exactly uh, what communications passed uh, between them and why that decision was made. But um, I can only imagine it's because of vexatious uh, complaints from trans rights activists. Uh, so yeah, but eventually I got there and it was fine. You know, I have I no longer have any kind of tribal um, 
prejudices. You know, I, I judge people on their ideas and what they say. It's that simple. I, I, I used to be a lefty firebrand. Uh, in fact, I think it was one of the reasons why I was attacked so, so uh, virulently uh, was because I was a good little progressive. You know, I, I believed all the same. I believed all the left wing positions with it, sometimes without examining them. I'm ashamed to admit. Uh, and this experience has kind of uh, has kind of made me rethink everything, you know. And I no longer rely on other people to uh, to kind of um, get a sense of where I should go on a on a on a topic, you know. If I comment on something, it's because I've read I read about it and I properly examined it for myself. And uh, yeah, if, if I had a flaw in the old days, it was it was too easily believing people who were in my tribe. That's gone. <laughs> That's very much gone. Um, and yeah, I, I I spoke at a, a conservative fringe event uh, where we just talked about these issues. And um, again, met a, met a bunch of extremely nice people. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, as I as I I, I use the Muhammad Ali line, you know, um, <clears throat> the, the the right never called me no bigot. You know what I mean? Um, it was only the left that called me a bigot. So I'm happy to speak to the right. Do you think there are any uh, answers in in politics and for this issue in this country at the moment? Yeah, there's a few people who are standing up, but they're but they're suffering hugely because of it. Rosie Duffield is the best example in the Labour Party. She should be head of women and equalities, but instead they're trying to deselect her. Uh, in fact, they're calling her anti-Semitic, which based on a tweet that I wrote about Eddie Izzard, where Eddie Izzard said, uh, I have it memorized by now. He said, um, he said, uh, I'm a trans superhero, but in the old days, uh, the Nazis would have hunted me down, something like this. And I replied, um, yes, the Nazis famously bigoted against blue-haired, or sorry, blonde-haired, straight white men. And uh, this has been used to accuse Rosie of anti-Semitism, whereas, of course, as you can hear, it's exactly the opposite. I was uh, correcting some extraordinary Holocaust revisionism from Eddie Izzard. So, um, yeah, there are a few uh, people who I admire in this. Uh, Rosie's one of them fighting, waging a very lonely battle in the Labour Party. Um, and on the other side, Kemi Badenoch, uh, uh, Cates, can't remember her first name, jumped out of my head. Miriam Cates, is it? Um, you know, there's, 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 there are people out there who, are, uh, who understand the issues and are communicating them brilliantly to the public. I noticed those three that you've mentioned so far are all women. Yeah, but there are some men. I think I can't quite remember at the moment. In in Scotland, there's a, a Neil. I think his name is something Neil. Um, there's a few. There are a few men uh, around who are doing great. Sharar Ali of the Green Party is very good. Um, but again, all of these people are tied up in you know legal fights with with uh, with like the Sharar Ali, for instance, is is currently involved in a legal fight with the Green Party. 
because they don't like his gender critical beliefs. You know, everyone who speaks about this is is just constantly tied up in some sort of legal action. You know, because none of us like being called bigots. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a few there's a few people, but they're kind of lonely stars in the sky, in the in the night sky. You know what I mean? They don't they they they're not getting a lot of support. Um, so many politicians treat this as if it's uh, just a toxic bin fire, uh, which it is, but it will become less so if we have more uh, mature people talking about it and trying to get to the to the nub of the issues that are, uh, you know, that, are, that this is a whole, like, a whole uh, wholesale kind of um, rejection of the safeguarding principles that the suffragettes uh, uh, won for women. And there's not yet been an explanation as to why they're being removed, as to why they're being uh, attacked in this way. And politicians have been neglectful in in not really treating this with the seriousness it, it deserves. I know so many people who've written letters to politicians that get ignored or get the same stock response about needing to be kind, <clears throat> or diverse, or whatever it happens to be, and they can't address the issues. They can't, whether it's some block they have, or whether it's their advisors telling them not to comment on it. I don't know, but we've had a real problem with there being no adults in the room. And any time an adult does stick their head up, uh, the trans rights activists try and destroy their life. We can't let you go, Graham, without speaking about Father Ted. But before we do, uh, one aspect of that that I would be quite interested to, to hear from you about was Father Ted, of course, we all know, uh, absolutely uh, making fun of the uh, of the church establishment and so on. Um, did you not get any pushback at the time uh, on that? Because obviously it became this massive uh, thing. But, but uh, in the early days, were you not getting some pushback on that? tiny bit of pushback at the very start um, and a few uncomfortable priests along the way. I remember there was one priest who, who said that kids would call him Father Ted on the street, um, which was, you know, I felt a bit, I felt a bit guilty about. Uh, but generally, no, I mean, you know, I've been to many weddings and occasions ever since where priests will approach me. One priest came up to me and he said something which blew me away. He said, you haven't heard the half of it. <laughs> what? Really? <laughs> um, but like, uh, but yeah, I mean, we, it was the, 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 the Catholic church's hold over, um, over society was kind of coming to an end anyway. And then it was sped up by the, the Boston scandals. So we weren't really a huge concern, I think, to the, to the Catholic church at that time. We weren't really, you know, causing much of a problem and also we were we were we were sort of careful to make the show uh not too cutting and satirical uh it wasn't what we were interested in we we loved the characters and hanging out with them and watching them play board games and listening to the silly things they were saying we didn't really uh want to take a sledgehammer to what to what to to the catholic church it, 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 it never figured in my life, for instance, as a, as a hugely uh, relevant uh, uh, power. Um, so, you know, we, we, we were going more by uh, Arthur's uh, uncles who were, who were priests. At least one uncle was a priest. And who would just, we would just hear these hilarious stories about them, you know. Um, 
we had great, and Arthur had great affection for for them. And I was never, I'd never had any problems with priests. So we didn't want to write a savage show. And we had a commissioner who said, you'll be all right as long as you don't attack central tenets of belief. And so we avoided that for the most part. So in the end, we had a show that you couldn't really protest against it because it would have been like fighting jelly. It was too silly uh, to to, to really be uh, controversial, you know. And again, and funny, like that's the thing. There's a line uh, uh, in a tape I I heard about writing Seinfeld by uh, the comedy writer Peter Melman. And he said, laughter is a very strong spice. So if you can make people laugh, then they'll forgive any kind of bad taste, you know, but you have to make them laugh. That's the trick. You know, if you don't, you just end up looking like a psychopath. (laughs) What role does laughter have in dealing with the, the types of issues we'd be talking about today or the, the other issues that we have. Uh, is it possible to to, to um, make a point through humour with these types of issues? And, uh, and Mike, you know, the reason I ask that question is that 2008, uh, you know, financial crash and all that. I remember Rory Bremner did, uh, Bremner Bird and Fortune did a, a series of, of uh, satirical uh, programmes on, on the, the financial crash. And it occurred to me that that actually, uh, in the process of of uh, producing those, the laughter was diffusing a lot of the uh, tension, tension, and a lot of the anger, and a lot of the pressure maybe to do something about the issue. And the, and as a result, we're we're basically back at square one again, where we're looking ah. down the barrels of, right. So so my my question about the role of humour is 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 whether it it has a useful purpose in these types of uh, of issues i do think i do think it's useful for me the use the use comes from saying to an audience hey you know this 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 thing i think i think you've probably thought it too you just haven't said it and when 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 people laugh it gives them an opportunity to agree with the thing being said right um, but I don't know. My, my problem with this particular issue that I'm fighting is that I think that the stakes are too high. The people who are enduring the are going through it are, are you know, I, I find I don't find it funny. I like, you know, children hurting themselves. I, it's not funny on any level. Uh, my my <clears throat> my role at the moment, I see is purely as an activist. I, I want to bring an end to that, you know, as quickly as I possibly can. Maybe later it'll be possible to laugh about some aspects of it. But at the moment, I think the stakes are too high um, for me be, to be able to fully relax to, for instance, address it in a sitcom, you know. Uh, also, I think that the I think that even if what you say, if what you say is true and those comedy routines slightly diffused um, uh, people's uh, desire to change something, um, well then, I think that <laughs> I think that I think that uh, this issue will go on. Will won't be going on much longer because it's like a pressure cooker. There is a huge desire to talk about it, a huge desire to kind of understand the issue, and it's being stymied uh, by comedians, by uh, journalists, um, by all manner of people who uh, simply don't want anyone to address it in any way. So I think that what you were talking about where that situation was 
or the, the, the search for a solution was slightly undermined by comedy. I think the opposite might be the case here, where the absence of any comedy about this issue means that, uh, you know, it can't go on much longer without people blowing a gasket, you know. Uh, I long for the days when the stakes aren't so high <clears throat> and we can go back to laughing at, at each other and laughing at, at, at the silly things that make us human. Um, but it's not here yet, no. Well, Graham, I'm going to say thank you very, very much for that today. Now, how, how do people follow you, aside from Twitter, which you somehow are still on? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is there anywhere else? Uh, and of course, to buy the book, uh, I would encourage everybody to buy the book. But uh, you know, w- w- where else can people follow you? Uh, well, I have a I have a website called the Glinner Update, which regularly publishes the kind of people I've been talking about today, the people who've been fighting all this stuff. Um, I occasionally write stuff for it myself when I'm not doing publicity for the book, as I am at the moment. But uh, but yeah, that's the best place to find me. And and if you take out a paid subscription, that's really my only form of income at the moment. So. Uh, apart from the book, of course. Um, uh, so yeah, if, if, if that's where to go, the Glinner update. Okay. Well, Graham Lennon, thank you very, very much for joining us today. That has been really interesting. Hopefully we'll speak again very soon. Thank you. That was a pleasure.